0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, please turn with me to 2 Peter, chapter 2. 2 Peter, chapter 2. Our focus text this evening is going to be verses 12 through 17. Verses 12 through 17. But before we hear the preaching and reading of God's word, join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we once again come to your word this evening. Lord, we pray that you would shine the light of your word in our hearts. Open your word to our hearts, we pray, Lord, and open our hearts to your word. That we may receive it, that we may love it, that we may live according to it. We pray for your Spirit's work in us even now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Second Peter, chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the rages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of it to us. Well, beloved, when it comes to equipping and protecting the saints, God isn't satisfied with a mere warning to beware of false teachers. He definitely gives us that, but he gives us much more. Through Peter, he provides a clear, multi-layered picture of what they teach, of what their motives are, as well as their strategies for deception. Now, in painting this picture here in chapter 2, Peter has taught us thus far about their doctrine and their doom. Their doctrine and their doom. They sneak into the flock, bringing destructive heresies with them. They encourage people to listen to and to follow their destructive ways. They they desire to exploit people with lies and deception. And yet God promised that judgment would come. Contrary to the justice of men, divine judgment doesn't sleep, nor is it lazy. You need to remember that. And to illustrate this, Peter gave us three examples in the Old Testament of the work of God in both judgment and deliverance. Judgment and deliverance. God wants us to learn and to hold on to three lessons here. First, we need to see his faithfulness and holiness in his judgment against the wicked. First, the fallen angels and their sin. And then secondly, his judgment against the sinful world through the waters of judgment and his merciful saving of Noah and his family through those same waters of the flood. But also thirdly, God's judgment of the wicked sexual sin of sodomy and homosexuality in Sodom and Gomorrah that was such an oppressive thing for Lot to see and endure. And yet God delivered Lot from their filthy conduct, Peter says. So these were to be examples for what? For future ungodly sinners to see and to be warned of. Do you you catch this? These examples are very helpful to us as God's people as well. But their primary purpose is for those outside of Christ to see. To be confronted by the person and work of the Holy God and impacted by His mighty justice. And if God did all of this, in the past what do we know for sure about the present and future peter says god knows how to deliver the ungodly excuse me the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the punishment of the day of judgment so such a wonderful promise and comfort is put before us here god knows how to deliver us from temptations and He is willing and able to do so. He promises to do so. He provides us the way of escape, Paul teaches us, to flee to Jesus. However, the wicked are reserved under punishment for that last day. And so these false teachers, they spew damnable doctrines. Their doom is sure. And tonight, Peter gives us a window into their depravity into their depraved hearts so doctrines doom and depravity are the details of peter's picture so far and let's look at the brute beasts and their wages in verses 12 and 13 the lovers of the wages of unrighteousness in 14 through 16 and their reservation for eternal darkness in verse 17 so as we read verse 12, some may be surprised, thinking, well, well wait, Pastor, did what did he just call these false teachers? You, you heard them correctly. You read the word correctly. Peter is bringing us to take a hard look at them. Look at verse 12a. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed. My friends, Peter doesn't pull any punches here. He doesn't mince words. Brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed is what he calls these false teachers. And some may read these words and think Peter is being harsh here, isn't he? He isn't being sensitive. He's being offensive. Some may ask, he isn't being very pastoral, is he? And yet Peter is being a faithful pastor here. He is being very pastoral in this description of the false teachers. And how so? Well, Peter is outraged over these false teachers. The danger is so serious. And yet false teachers are too often coddled and treated with kid gloves, while all the while they're ravaging the flock. And though this flies in the face of the go along and get along mentality, though it flies in the face of accept every religion and those types of pastors who would promote that or be okay with that, or it goes against the tolerate everyone's view in society mantra, as Peter continues to show the sheep the light of truth, he shines it in dark places and on dark people as he teaches us about their depravity, the saints need to see these wolves as they really are. Depraved wolves. And if you think about it, that's, that's so helpful in, in painting this picture and sh- shining the light on this to help us understand why. Because we do need to see them for how they really are and who they really are because they portray themselves to be completely different. They portray themselves to be just like us. In fact, they would parade themselves as angels of life. They're here to bring the truth. That you just haven't heard yet. Many of you have likely seen the, seen the memes of a close-up of a flock of sheep and the wolf that is right in the midst of them with that sheep hide draped over his back so he blends in and his head can just be seen in the front there. It's like Peter is going over to these wolves and he's ripping the hide off of their back and he's saying, hey, look at this, beloved. Brute beast, right here. And going deeper, what is Peter specifically describing in treating them this way and referring them to them in this way? Well, he's referring to the fact that animals function according to instinct animals function according to instinct they are directed by their instincts they're not rational beings and so when peter's referring to them as such beasts he's pointing us to the reality that these teachers who are under the power of sin are irrational they are like livestock raised for slaughter and so as peter gives this sharp edged analogy of what they are like he dives even deeper into the depravity of their hearts and what they do. Look at 12b. What do they do? They speak evil of the things that they don't understand and will utterly perish in their corruption. Think back to Peter's description in verse 10. These teachers were lustful, self-willed. They despise authority. And building on those issues of their heart here in verse 12, the saints need to know more about that overflowing pride that was in these men's hearts. They were bold, but they were ignorant. They despised, ridiculed, blasphemed, and mocked things they didn't even really know about. And if you would press them on their criticisms it would become obvious that their arguments and their support for their accusations and claims were shallow. They wouldn't pass muster. They'd fall apart. Bluntly, they don't know what they're talking about. And it becomes obvious. Now, beloved, in contrast to this, God's men, the ones redeemed by Christ, the ones that He has raised up and appointed to be under-shepherds and pastors, must be humble men in contrast to these false teachers. They must know Christ, proclaim Christ, and themselves seek to be faithful in living in accordance with his commands. In the midst of their pride fest, Peter reiterates these false teachers' doom and their perishing in their corruption notice. Look at verse 13 and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Romans 6.23 tells us much about the wages of unrighteousness, doesn't it? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friends, they would receive their wages. In fact, no one apart from Christ can escape the wages of their sin, their unrighteousness. And Peter called out and exposed their sin. And why? Because it was important for the saints to know that these people counted it a pleasure to revel in their sin, even in the daytime. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Why would Peter point out they're carousing in the daytime, and if that being such a stark thing for them to consider and know? Because the saints needed to know and understand that these teachers were wicked men who loved sin and loved sinning, even sexual sin, and they didn't even care. It wasn't even in the shadows and the secret of the night. But they reveled in it in the day. How well we see this so clearly today, don't we? It would be like we're not looking at historical record in the ancient church, but we're, we're looking at society today. We read the newspapers, we read the, the blog posts, and we see the pictures, we see the videos. Sexual sin is no more in the closet. All kinds of sexual deviance is being flaunted and paraded down our streets in pride parades, and sinful acts are done in public in plain sight. What a shame. Transgender story reading to children in public libraries. What? Pedophiles are making progress in having more and more acceptance, et cetera, et cetera. Etc. But Peter is saying here, wake up! Wake up to these people. These people who have crept in and are wooing for your attention and are wooing for you to follow them. Wake up and see who they really are. See the depravity of their hearts. And see that it isn't just out there. But beloved, his point was, they are in here. They're in your midst. Those saints of Christ. In fact, they are sitting next to you, reveling in deceptions. Wow, what did he say? Well, wow, they feast with people. They're eating with you. But yet, he says, see them for what they are. Their spots. Their blemishes. In Jude, verse 12, Jude speaks to false teachers, being, quote, spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Okay. This was the same reality for the false teachers here that Peter's speaking of. Truly, what are they there to do? They're there to serve themselves, their own lusts, their own interests. And they're there to entice other people to follow them, to do the same And so when Jude calls them spots, the literal Greek word, the Greek word literally means rocks or hidden reefs. And that's important. It's a very helpful description. And why? Because these rocks or hidden reefs, it's describing those found just under the surface of the water. You can't see them when you look at the water from above, but they are indeed very dangerous. They will tear up your flesh as you swim over those reefs, unprotected. These false teachers were rocky blemishes who defiled the purity of the body. They appear to enjoy and to be of benefit to others, but they are actually hurting them. They are like reefs right under the surface that ships get caught on and snagged and, and damaged by even during the fellowship meals that the saints had together that testified of their brotherly love and unity in Christ. And possibly even Peter referring to the Lord's Supper there. These feasts were good. But they were being tainted by the presence and action of these false teachers. These wicked men weren't only the the receivers of their wages of sin, Peter says, though. They also loved them. Look at verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Again, strong words. Peter isn't backing off the gas pedal of the light here. Never forget, my friends, that adulterous eyes are fueled by a covetous heart. Adulterous eyes are fueled by a covetous heart. We want what we don't have. Literally, Greek language there means they had eyes full of of an adulterous woman. They had eyes full of an adulterous woman. And Peter here describes their insatiable, sensual desire. And what were they doing? They weren't merely enjoying their own circle of sin, but they broadened their circle more and more. They, They spread the net. They spread the net to entice other weak people. And they would seek out those who didn't have a strong foundation in the Christian faith. They would seek them out, they would allure them, and they would groom them, and they would use them. It's a tragic story. But one that we need to be guarded against, again, as Peter is shining this light, this is one of the purposes of it, so that God's people will see the truth of these things and stand with Christ and stand against such impostors. Peter says that they had gone through the dark school of covetousness. Their hearts had been well-trained and exercised in greed. And they, in part, wanted to make disciples after themselves to profit off of them. They wanted to use them. But oh, how accursed they truly are. Notice this language and how Peter writes here and praise God for it, for this is the very inspired word of God. See how he says this is what they're doing. But this is what's true of them. They're doing this. But they're a curse. Know that. And this is clearly evident. Look at verse 15. As they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. My friends, the false teachers had forsaken the way. They had forsaken Christ, and they had gone astray. They forsook the way of life, and they walked in the path that leads to death. The path that takes hold of hell. That's their path. And that's the path that they tried to get others to go down as well. Peter says that they are followers of Balaam. And who is Balaam? Well, Balaam was a false prophet and he was known for his greed, along with being guilty of leading others into sin, and we find that to be true in Numbers chapter 31, verse 16. But further, God used a donkey to rebuke Balaam. And we see that in Numbers 22, verses 21 through 39. But again, as Jude parallels here and speaks very similar language to Peter in this chapter. Notice Jude's words in verse 11. Woe to them, he says, for they have gone in the way of Cain, they have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Woe to them, he says. And so, beloved, these teachers aren't doing anything new, though, realize. In fact, they're running in the same old tracks the devil likes to use, and he's used for many generations. Yet the saints, and we need to see, that while Peter said the false teachers resembled brute beasts in their bondage to greed, their prototype, Balaam, was rebuked by a beast. But yet Peter says, know what their reservation is. The reservation is eternal darkness. Look at 17. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. These false teachers claim, and what is their claim? We have the water of life. Drink from our well. You'll be satisfied. But what's the truth? Though ministers of the gospel should be fountains of instruction and direction and comfort, as we nourish spiritual life, the false teachers promise life that can only deceive and disappoint. They promise life, but their wells are empty. Their disciples remain thirsty. Because they're truly making them devoid and parched from the true fountain of life, which is Jesus Christ. God's words in Jeremiah 2, verse 13 apply here. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. These false prophets and these false teachers, beloved, they would like to woo people and to say, Hey, look at these nice and shiny cisterns that we have here. They're fantastic. They'll hold a lot of water. They'll, they'll do everything that you need them to do. Take part and do that. No, they're broken systems. They have nothing to offer of life giving eternal value because they are enemies of Christ and not pointing people to him. Not feeding him and them with the word. Peter says that they're also like clouds blown by a storm. And you know, you you hope that clouds will bring refreshing rain. Just like I, I prayed in the pastoral prayer, thanking God for the rain that he has brought in refreshing and replenishing the earth. You look at the clouds, even in a time of drought, and you're like, Lord, is this going to bring some rain, that would be wonderful. However, false teaching never provides such true refreshment. It makes the claim, but it always falls short. Because that's not their aim. It's just their show. It's just their marketing. But then what is true? Peter says the blackness of darkness is reserved for them forever. Eternally. Seeing these wicked men are promoting sin and the dark and darkness in this world. We can attest to God's justice and his right, his holy justice, in the blackness of darkness being their portion in the next. Remember that utter darkness was prepared for the devil and his angels, those instruments that he uses to turn them from the truth. The same is true for false teachers as they follow their father to the pit. This is their depravity. and the details of it, this is their doom. Praise the Lord for his justice, his rescuing and delivering of his people is protecting his people, even as he reveals in his word and gives us instruction in, the, in his word that we may be aware and watchful and sober regarding such people. So I'll leave you with this. Godly shepherds and ministers are called to do hard things. We are. With courage, we have to shine the light on deceivers and call them out. And like Peter We can't be ashamed to do so. We serve Christ. We defend Christ and his name. We are happy and glad to take such steps, to make such proclamation, even if that means that we are ridiculed, even if that means that we are shamed because we do so. Like Peter, it is right because we need to see them. God's people needs to see them for who they really are. Brute beasts, accursed children, spots and blemishes, wells and clouds without water. These are such vivid and sharp descriptions of the depravity of those who present themselves oh so smooth and pure. So be watchful, have eyes wide open to see those in our world today for who they truly are, to see their character for what it truly is, to to see their pride, their ignorance, even though they will sell you a bill of goods, that they are the next greatest teacher or preacher who can give you what you want. Indeed, they will do their best to tempt and allure you into what your flesh desires, but they cannot give you what you need. They cannot give you Christ. And they won't. But we have this confidence that the wicked will receive their wages. The destruction, the doom, the eternal blackness of darkness that is reserved for them. Though this is though this is dreadful, it is also a comfort to us. And isn't that one of the main themes that Peter is tossing here? knowledge, light, awareness. Be watchful knowing these things. And be comforted by the work, by the revelation of your God. By the protection and the path and the light that he shines and exposes in these areas. And in particular in chapter 2 on these people. But in contrast to them, what do you truly need? You need Jesus. That's who you need. You need Jesus. You need to be fed and nurtured and disciplined by true ministers and under shepherds of Christ. You need to be under the ministry of those men who point you to Christ. To the fountain of living water. Whose well is never empty. Whose well is overflowing with life. Eternal life in him. Whose clouds are never dry. Who is the joy and the host of our feasts. Whose spirit is indwelling us and is at work in us and amongst us. Even in such wonderful of fellowship. Even in such wonderful feasts and feasting together. In whose arms we find everlasting solace. Who is the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They are spots and blemishes, but the Lamb of God is spotless. Whose habitation is in the glorious and eternal light of heaven. That is what is true of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Him for that. For these teachers and their depravity, it really is putting that stark contrast and painting that wonderful picture of This is who they are, but this is who Jesus is. See it, and believe it, my brothers and sisters, and have great joy in